Welcome to part three of our four part series of Brian Broom's Punch Me Up to the Gods. You're tuned in to the Bruz Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. But I wanted to pivot into like, Brian in the story when he was dealing with the young lady when he was in college and they were he was going above and beyond um doing all these outside exterior things like you know I mean being being a romantic person uh you know picking up from the from the bus station and whatnot just doing everything and they else kept saying, oh they're kinda, such a cute couple such right, right, a right. cute couple and he was he was basically like doing all these things kind of trying to avoid them having like this intimate moment but at some point in time, when you're dealing with a woman and you put full-fledged, you know, foreplay, doing the whole deal, she's going to want to have sex with you, right? So mm-hmm. when it comes down to that point and he couldn't produce, I was like, man, it was, um, it goes back to my lit bar. This is a segue on our podcast, what we call the lit bars. Lit bars is any literary phrase phrasing sentence that jumped out that you thought that was pretty creative or poignant Walt, you had a lit bar yeah the lit bar was me the perfect so basically she was getting ate out <laughs> by brian and brian was doing his thing and as he would look up he's like what's the problem she was like not moaning she was like uh she's like every time i look down I see you looking at my vagina like it's a made-up math problem. <laughs> I was like, what? Nah, that was one of mine, nah, too, dog. I was laughing so hard. That was one of mine, so too, dog. So <laughs> <laughs> <too, laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of anxiety. I'm, I'm looking down. So, yeah, so there were some times uh, where I got to a point where I was like, man, there's not enough wine in the world for me to, like, keep trying to do this. Like, it's just... Yeah. Like, at first, you try to be a gentleman. You're like, oh, we're taking things too fast. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, oh, God, this is going to have to happen. And so I just keep, you know, backing up, backing away. It was one time I was at somebody else's house. It's so funny. And me and this woman, we were, you know, making out and doing, I'm good at foreplay, all the foreplay. And she was like, let's go back to my house. I was like, bet, let's do it. Let's go. So I get in my car and I get behind her in her car. We're driving. And it's funny, we were close friends to this day. And she said, I was at the light and I went straight and I looked up and you turned right. And you just you just on me. Like you like I was like, look, I had to so there there's been there's been that moment. And and I've I've also ruined a friendship. There's a friend of mine that we don't talk now. Um, to this day, I ruined the friendship and we were really, really close in college, uh, because I was at this, um, woman's house and like platonically just hanging out. Um, uh, and I, we, 
she got, you know, she was attracted to me. I was attracted to her. And I'm like, it's happening. It's working. Like, <laughs> magic, I done prayed the gay away. I really want to do this. And we're really going to do this. And so we did that. I'm not gay no more. And I was like, do you believe that the Lord tonight has set you free? Yes, sir. Turn around and tell those people. Tell them. I'm not gay no more. I am delivered. I don't like men no more. I said I like women. Women, 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 women. Exactly. Exactly. I've been delivered. <laughs> <laughs> and man, it was so, it was so, I was like, yeah, but I was like, but then I tried to explain to my friend, I was like, hey man, I really have to perform when and where it happens. You don't get what this means, but like, yeah. I just knew like it was this over was and it was the time. And then right after that, he called and I was, he's like, I'm with Derek now. I was like, oh shit. And he so found did out. Did y'all do it? Did, so did y'all, did you and the girl uh, do it? Did you and the girl um, have intercourse? Yeah, yeah, we had. No. Sex. I mean, it was okay, like it was at this point. I was like, man, it's actually happening. It's ha it's happening, and I'm actually. I think we just connected. Um, gotcha. <laughs> hey, let me get into this lip bar. Right. I have several lip bars. One comes from the Red Caboose when he went out dancing with his white friends. His ride left, so he was trying to ask his friends to ask their parents to give him a ride home. Mm -hmm. He said, the scenario repeated itself over and over again in the parking lot that night. I ran from car to car like a fireman collecting donations at a stoplight. <laughs> and each parent looked straight ahead while their children, my friends, who had loved me just 10 minutes before, climbed into the back seat. The white kids all gave me the same look was a combination of, I'm sorry. And you should have known better. <laughs> That's one. Dummy. When we were talking about black women and our imaginative idea of what black men should look like and how we should comport ourselves, he says, when I was a kid, I thought the key to being a black man was to learn how to properly lean on things to look cool. What I didn't know at the time <laughs> is that what black men lean on the most, whether we want to admit it or not, is black women. And we're tired. My that? wife said, and we're tired. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple more. We were talking about black men and our adequacy and feeling adequate. It was midnight, and she invited all her friends over to watch this showing of Luther Vandross. And so she said the women in the room were forgetting their husbands. Their husbands with their lost steel mill jobs, hunched shoulders, beer bottles, and confusion about who they were and could no longer provide. These women who all had joined the workforce in the place of black husbands who've been told they can never be anything other than hard laborers in a town which now had no labor. These men who no longer held their deed to their own once bolsterous laughter and sat around in the streets like dry bush beans, husk and complain, got angry because they didn't know what else to do. This man said they no longer hold their deeds to their own once bolsterous laughter. One more thing about, and I'm going to leave this, this one more lit bar. 
when uh, this is the scene where he left school, his mom had to come pick him up and he went into his room and he sat into, he began his depression. He said, I grew roots into the bed while I stared up at the ceiling and allowed a deep depression to erode my bones. Those some lit bars. Anybody else has some lit bars? I only got one. You get enough of trusting in white people. <laughs> <laughs> that was ha- that was after his mama came and picked him up from the red caboose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think I don't know. Growing up in the South with parents who went to segregated schools, I think we all hear that at one point in time. Like you can be friends with them, but yeah, nigga, you better be careful. Because <laughs> she said, "Boy, don't you ever all. trust white folks again." My dad told me that yeah, same I thing. I wanted to go to this school back home uh, for a dumb reason. It was just a, for some private school. And I was like, they got uh, the edge on race. <laughs> they got the edge on something, like competitive edge. My dad was like, they got the edge on racism. And that's all he had to say about it. And I wasn't. <laughs> I was, and I just knew I wasn't going. I might as well stop at that, having that conversation. <laughs> stop right there. Yep. Exactly. Like, uh-uh. I got another one. Yeah. Um, uh, in the in the in the story, he said, "I saw black women all around me who were disappointed by their black men. A woman felt dominated by the black men, but yet unprotected." Wow. That was one. That was a power. To me, that was real powerful too, man. Because like, damn, yeah, they felt dominated. Powerful. You said dominated, but not protected. Unprotected, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the truth yeah. for black women. We just barking. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't start Teresa with the church. Do the, the church comments. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> Another one. Uh, she, uh, he said. Uh, his mother said. She said that man ain't. Uh, she said. Um, this was in the uh, what chapter was this? But nevertheless, she said that man ain't got no wife. All he has is a woman he pours all of his crazy into that's dying to get away. Wow. That's, man. That's Boy, black woman got a heart in it. Yeah. Both Say black it again, Donovan. Say it again. Uh, Harvey, I know you got some lip bars. <laughs> you keep them on deck. Hey, buddy said, <laughs> when that line hit my system, I knew immediately that cocaine would be a mainstay in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That was the most Rick James moment in the book. <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> ain't, ain't no turning back now. He took off his shirt. <laughs> oh, exactly. Whoa. I'm wow. ready. I mean, we already touched on this. Denise saved my life without even knowing it, as black women often do. Mm. That was one. I had the same one as Walt had about looking out in the pussy. Um, Oh, this was about his dad. In the end, his need to be a man cut him off from everything worthwhile in life. Um, Another one about black girls. He says, black girls get set out on the most dangerous waters. Mm. Um, men would say anything to come to their head just to please themselves and um, the last one was don't ever wake the baby up when he's sleeping because he's growing that's for you Walt yeah that's a good one there <laughs> I have one more 
And this is towards the end when his dad was in his final hours and everybody was convincing him that he needed to go speak to his dad and make things right. Because we all can agree that his dad did love him, right? His mother, I mean, he writes so beautifully. I think both his parents loved him. They just, they just, yeah, they loved him the way they knew how. Yeah, right. Derek spoke on that earlier. Uh, He said, my mother is whispering, but emphasized the word talk with a squeeze of my hand as if she thinks some sort of deep revelation between my father and I would break a levee between us, setting free a long age, damned up river of love. That's, that's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a, it's a one like that. This love got to pop up, right? Y'all, but y'all, this is daddy. <laughs> he been around forever. I mean, he ain't shit, but that's still your daddy, right? To so go on, show him some people, love. I think black people I, love that kind of closure and in, in our relationship. We like to have that sometimes. I think what we pursue, even if it's not, you know, actual, it's, it's at least it's, it's performative. Yeah. I got one that I think falls in, it falls into that. It says, um, I look up at Tuan and his father. Tuan is falling asleep. I wonder if when he grows up, he will look back on his childhood and believe that he was loved. Because feeling loved by black parents can be tricky. I never felt love because I was looking for the wrong clues. I was looking for that love that comes from parents who aren't stressed out all the time and are trying to make a way out of nowhere. My mother once told me that when she was a child in Jim Crow South, a black parent showing affection toward their children was a surefire way to let white people know what your weakness was. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Dude can write, man. <laughs> like hey, give it that, to him. He man. can write Walt, but that point that point right there, yeah. that's the hardest shit. That, that's why I say this book is hard, man. Hard to yeah. Well, that's that trauma that we have that has kept us safe. So we perpetuate it even though we know that it kind of causes harm. You know, yeah. we, we do it because it is instilled in us, because it has kept us safe. But we can also still look back and say, you know, but what did it do to us psychologically? And, you know, at some point we have to figure out where we break that cycle. And, you know, and as loving as I am, you know, sometimes my children say things to me about how I'm raising them. And I have to say, what? Because I, I don't see it that way. I thought I was doing a great job, but we can, you know, like I said about the story earlier, we do what we think is best. And sometimes it comes back and our kids show us a mirror and it wasn't the best thing that we could have done at that time. Yeah, I think. But your intentions were great. Yeah, the intentions are there. And like my mom asked me, you know, some time ago, she, she phoned and she said, you sound a little down. And again, navigating the emotions. And I said, I am a little bit. I said, but it's all right. She said, well, you know, we love you. Don't worry about it. Um, and I said, I'm actually, I was thinking about me at 12 and I was mourning for that little boy. And she was like, well, you know, you know, you don't owe anybody anything. Yeah, yada, yada. She said, don't worry about it. And that was her best answer. And I told, and I said to her, I said, no, I said, I've spent most of my life navigating around this and I got to do, I got to go through this. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to process it. And then she said to me, I absolutely understand. Like it wasn't her trying to, but her best was, you know, my mom integrated Mercer university. A lot of her lived experience was pushing it down and pushing through navigating around those issues. And so I think her best support for me at that time was press it down and forge ahead. And I was like, that's how I've been rolling the whole time. This one, 
I got to unpack it. I got to sit with it. And, it's a, and it was healthy for me to say, because I, now I can advocate for the other 12-year-olds, 15, whatever who they are, because I've, I've, I've felt what that felt like and I've, I've dealt with what it felt like and I didn't push it away. And um, for me, I think that's the whole point. Like being able to hold on to all of that shit in the right space with the right people, with the right process, because on the other side of that, it, it's always been rewarding for me. Every time I've broached a subject or tried to navigate some difficulty, it's always been better on the other side. Derek, I'm asking to that to that that morning of that 12 year old self. I often ask myself, "What would my 18 year old self think about me today?" Mm. So that 12 year old that you was mourning, what would that 12 year old think about you? I think you just answered it. I think the 12-year-old, or maybe I did answer it, and I think, I'm hoping that 12-year-old would be proud that I didn't, you know, solely focus on healing for my own sake. And I think he appreciates me looking back at him and validating that experience and doing what it took to, I don't want to say gain power in the world, but yet gain power through being free. Um, when I told my brother I was gay this past Christmas, he leaned on the car and he said, I feel like somebody was like gut punching him. He was like, you know, it's hard for me to understand. But I also realized I've been unpacking it for, for decades. So I didn't have an expectation that he'd do it with any kind of brevity at all. It was just, I heard him. He dapped me up, told me he loved me hugged me and I flew out the next day because I left this house saying that I was going to say it and I left and I was like man circle back I didn't get a block away I said oh I forgot something circle back came outside and I just said it and to watch him physically lean over and I drove away and I cried but I was also proud like you did it you got free um you didn't hold on to it he's gonna have to process it and so even though it was difficult um was definitely worth it in the end. And I'll say this, you know, me and my brother have spoken on the phone twice, which is uncharacteristic. Lenny knows us this year, since that time. Once for his birthday, and the second time was because my dad was in the hospital. So there's a bridge that we still have to cross, but I'm free because, you know, I'm not holding it. But I'm going to hold on to him long enough that I, I will always be willing to build between me and my brother. But part of me had to keep a little distance um, because of some of the things that he said in reaction to me. You know, since then, he's told me how he's felt because he, he doesn't agree. Um, he's equated it to being addicted to a drug. Like he's made these really false and kind of damaging connections between me just showing up in the world to addiction and other things. And I had to pull back from hearing that in my space because the work I've done to get free, I can't let him push me back. And that's that's a right. tough spot because we're only 18 months apart. So it's a, it's a huge challenge to like kind of deal with that, right? So that's that's a mm-hmm. but um we we are, you know. So um I see I see better to to come from it, but it's just tough right now. Like we're not, we're not communicating like we used to. 
Well, and I know you know this, but, um, you know, just like you said, it, it took you decades. So, of course, it's going to take a little bit more time on that end. But also the whole idea of what we've both said, and that is your brother has to mourn, too. Mm-hmm. He has to mourn what he thought was going to be the life for you. And he also has to mourn what he feels like is going to be bad for you and all that protection that he felt like he was doing for you. So, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see. But I I know you know that. Yeah. Is he an older brother? Yeah, my older brother. We're only 18 months apart. And he he has always felt like he's been the surrogate third parent. (laughs) Like, he felt like it was his job to protect me. I mean, he, he parents my friends. Like if you're my friend, you can be older. He don't care. He put you at the status of his little brother. And that's how he, that's how he is, but which, which is great, you know, in, in many ways. That's his identity. Though. Yeah. It's, right. Yeah. It's, it's great. And I get the whole, he's, he's mourning because as I was performing and dating these promising relationships, he's looking at that like, Oh, I'm, he's on board. Right. So he's, he's yeah. riding with that. And so it's been a quick shift from, for him on a dime. So I think allowing him to have the pivot while also protecting me from how he processes that could be damaging is it requires some agility from me, like how to be close and available, Mm -hmm. but how to be distant and protect myself at the same time. And navigate this new relationship until it goes back to what is going to be a normalcy for the both of you. Yeah. When you got a PhD, Teresa. Yeah. I'm sorry, Donovan. I, you know, that's just the the the. You be so subdued. That's the the mothering. I think only. Oh, okay. yeah. That's that's, that's what that. Part? That's the mothering. That's all. That ain't the psych degree. I don't know. I, I think I was born with that. I think that's why I got the psych degree. But because it was already like I already know this stuff. So let me go ahead and let somebody pay me for but, it. And no, and they don't. Uh, ostensibly, ostentatiously. Ost- I, I, I said she was ostensibly and th- a uh-huh. therapist, and she got very, very vehemently offended. Yes, I was. Why? But you are ostensibly right. He, he he was like ostensibly. I was like, oh, okay. He had to. Oh, instead of like directly, you are. That, he that he in- said that in text, and I think I wrote him for a week because I always okay, look okay. at view the word ostensibly as not for really. Even that. Even if that was the case, he was like, "Get your boy, Derek. Get your boy. <laughs> I also get your boy. De facto." Like you're de facto a, a, a therapist, even yeah. though you're like you're she made it to be an offensive term that I use towards her because ostensibly not only means not for really, but it means that you're you're posing as one. Yeah, you're, you're for, trying to portray for clout and for clout other things. And, and other things. You know your husband don't mean that. You know he didn't mean that. He just spouting words. He don't know the meanings too. Is that what? And you know that. You know, you married, you, you, you <laughs> like hey, her. You know he didn't mean it like that. Loud so like that. and wrong. 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 Loud yeah. and so, wrong. But Jonathan That's what you just, signed up uh, for. You need to go ahead and let some shit go. I'd let it go. I'd let it go. He didn't, he let didn't go. mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Donovan knows this, though, but Lenny, uh, Lenny and Teresa have called me in, a, in, in, in interesting moments where they've had some um, opposing points of view. Tense. Opposing points of view. Yeah, we put it that way. We have some opposing <laughs> points of view 
And they'll call I'm, me. I'm usually like, right, though. I'm like, man, they, they struck <laughs> me with this moment. And like, how do you respond to the friendship that's now developed between both? Mm-hmm. And then somebody would say, like, always ride with your line, brother. Ride with your dude, right? But Oh, that's what most of you do. I, I can usually count on Derek for a little bit more <laughs> of uh, a non-biased. He and Donovan sometimes. There are no rules. I ride with Teresa. I be like, man, he needs Teresa. I need to. I need to help him fix this. <laughs> uh, I, w- I would rather have Derek and Donovan than James any day because well, James. About Steve? Oh, you know, I'll take Steve because Steve, uh, but Steve is going to also go with you, but then he'll he'll say something be like, you know, Teresa, but I, but you know, you know, you know, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. So, but I, Steve is going to try to offend everybody to make it easy. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, yeah, but I, I'll I'll take you all because baby, that James, I tell you what. Well, my hey, mama, listen, my mama said the same thing. My mama, she was. uh she said, I'm going to say something to you, and I don't want to get it wrong, but just hear me out. I thought she was talking about anything. She said, I see how you navigate the world, and you find a way to be in between people who disagree, but somehow both of them realize you're on their side. Derek is everybody's best friend, but nobody's Derek's best friend. Oh, Derek, that's my best friend. I'll be like, not really. Ostensibly, ostensibly, not for really, because that's what Lenny says it means. You ain't his best friend for really. Miriam Webster put not for really next to ostensibly. Let it go. Not for really. um, Yeah, how long? Yeah, because we don't. Yeah, um, rate the book. Because Harvey gonna give him a a lower. Yeah, so I go. Yeah, so I go first. I go first in rating the book. I give the book an eight. I won't give it a nine. I won't give it a 10. I give it, I give the book an eight. It's definitely a, a book that I will give to somebody and recommend them to read. Teresa, what would you rate? Um, this is going to be one of the few times that I agree with you. And I'm going to go eight simply because I really enjoyed the book. Um, I cannot discount the negative emotion that it brought about, but the writing was excellent. Okay, I'm going to say eight and a half. Let's go a little bit because the writing was excellent. Everything about the story was really good. Everything about the book was really good. It was just some of the trauma and some of me just wanting him to just something give me something um that was gonna make me feel a little bit more triumphant but yeah eight and a half whoa what are your what are your thoughts uh i'll give the book a solid seven and a half um close to eight man but th- this guy can write his ass off 110 percent, man the way he put words together is like a few other authors that i've read in the past um i will say that and also uh it was a good chance for me to just look at the other side of the coin and travel the narrative of a, a gay African-American male in society growing up in like, you know, the Midwest, uh, which I have ties to as well too. So I know some of the cities that he was naming out. Um, but to see like some of his, his hardships and uh, the book could have ended a little bit more better, but overall I was definitely seven and a half. Donovan, what about you? I'm going to give it a nine, actually. I only thing I didn't really like is the back and forth in time. Part. Oh, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. That was one of the things that I did like. But I, I want to 
speak on that, but go. Definitely dislike that. I was like, wait a minute, what? Because, you know, I have habits. So I'd be like, am I tripping? Or is, do we go? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, no, he did go back in time. So, but otherwise, I kind of like, sorry, I thought it was fiction and I thought, I don't know. I like this book because there were some things I was like, wait a minute, is, are those my grandparents? Does this sound really familiar? <laughs> It's, a real it's funny that you say I thought this was fiction because the way it was written and uh, narrated, only uh, only you can be as creative in a in a fiction book. And he he kind of like infused fiction into nonfiction. You said you didn't like the back and forth. That was one of the things that I really appreciate the genius about the writing because when he goes back. He also, not only in his writing, but he kind of goes back into the mindset of a 12-year-old. You can kind of capture the maturity, uh, the lack of maturity of a 12-year-old, the lack of maturity of a 15-year-old, what he was thinking at 15, what he was thinking at 12, what he was thinking 18, 19 in college. And so he was able to go and walk us through and have a conversation with us. I like your positive perspective on that. (laughs) Derek, what you got? I mean, I'm I'm all in on this book. Uh, I give I, I'm gonna give it a ten. Um, it, it for me, it made me laugh. Like the writing made me laugh. Made me, it made me cringe. It, every emotion he was going through, I kind of like felt like I was right there next to it. And I think I think because I lived in Pittsburgh, it was funny living in Pittsburgh. Uh, and some of the clubs he had gone to, yeah. uh, especially Images, was one of the ones I first was like. <laughs> I, I'm going to a gay club. I'm going to go to this gay club. And they had karaoke night. So I go in there and I would pay cash to get in. I would get cash. I wanted no trace of me being inside this place. <laughs> uh, my name was David when I went there. And they would be like, David, you're up. And I'm sitting there like, oh, that's me. <laughs> so it's time to go up there. And so I, I'd sing a Luther Vandross song. Sing that my my go to karaoke song, and I would I would exit. But I would, it was my way of dipping my toe into like a gay club and see what it was like. Um, so it was good to kind of walk back walk back that experience too. It's like Harvey gonna give like a three. <laughs> no, we gonna see. <laughs> Harvey's not gonna give it a three. No, I, I, I like I appreciate what he said. How he said he he liked it, but it was like, do we need it? Do we need to go through it? That that was real. That was real for me. I appreciate it. The answer is yes. Be uncomfortable, Harvey. We're tired of you being comfortable <laughs> just because you play football and got muscles. Oh, goodness gracious. That ain't the real Hey, Walt, I appreciate you, uh, you and Lenny. Um, I guess, Donovan, you were early. Y'all created this platform, man. It's really it's really dope. And uh, glad that we found a way to get that I can get on here. Uh, but I appreciate it. Yeah, you got the founders on here right now. This, these are Charter That's Bros right here. <laughs> <laughs> the I came on in that third line, you know. I, I came around when they invented Hazen. And I'm not even a bruh. You were still adjacent. You was <laughs> I'm, bruh, I'm bruh adjacent. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You two would get arrested for Hazen. Hey, Harvey. I heard Teresa was a Hazen anyway. All right. You know what? Hey, so Harvey, what would you rate this book? Man, um, like I said, I want to support the brother um, and his efforts. So I recommend people buying the book. You know, I don't want to hurt his pockets. Um, I don't know, man. I didn't like this book. I mean, Walt said Duke can write his ass off. 
dude literally wrote about writing, laying there, letting people play in his ass for money, man. Oh, depression, right? <laughs> I mean, dude's literally like sizing up med students, like, yeah, she's, he ain't gonna make it because he can't handle this ass. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's just disgusting to me, man. I mean, and then, you know, the, 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 the black experience is definitely, um, put under a, a microscope in this text in a way that if we're not careful, we're going to be blaming ourselves for our own trauma. I don't think that's the goal of the book. I don't think that's his intent at all. I think he has beautiful intentions, but this is one of those books that, you know, when you had that beautiful bookshelf in your house that with them books on it that you never read, like put this book on that bookshelf and just be cool with it. Just knowing that you supported the brother and that you have a piece of the black literary experience. But uh, yeah, man, I don't I don't even know how to rate this book. I'm I'm gonna give it. I don't know, man. I I, I give it a six. But yeah, Harvey. I know, man. Now, how would you give it a six, though? Are you giving the story a six? You, are you giving the writing a six? Or are you just I giving like the it. overall I don't, I don't, experience? I don't like how you put it together. I think I think you know, I think I think it's two stories. I don't think the story of Twan connects well with his story. I think it's misguided. I don't like it. I don't like his story. I don't I don't want to hear that shit. And I understand that he's unpacking and I respect that part of it, but I don't I don't like it. You know what I mean? I, and and I think for me, when I say I don't like it, I have to be careful because there are people who are intolerant. I'm not intolerant. I'm saying, matter of factly, I don't like this shit. You don't like the story as if it's fiction, but you're just saying, I don't like that this happened? Oh, I don't like, I don't like the feeling that I feel when I'm ingesting and investing into this story. Okay. Like you don't like the discomfort that you get when you hear the story. Right. And it has, like, and again, it doesn't have anything to do with being intolerant of a lifestyle. Right. right? It's like, it's like how you talked about Teresa about him not fighting back. Like I, I don't mm -hmm. like to see people get taken advantage of. Okay. And it's, it, it's hard to digest that in this text again, because it's like, He's seeing all the bad things that's happening in the world, but what is a person supposed to do? You know, and I, and I think he raises that question too, inadvertently, like like the bystander effect. Like, um, damn, I had that was one of my that was one of my lit bars too. I think Lenny, you had missed it. That's why they said when he's on the on the bus and he watches this guy getting assaulted, he doesn't do anything. And when the guy walks off the bus, he's like, and fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you. <laughs> Is that the accent you're going with? So, I mean, okay. again, I mean, the book, so it's like, it's like, it's like, I think he can separate the story. Spicy. Right? He can separate the stories and, and, you know, and tell two different stories. His story is, it's horrible. You know what I mean? He's a beautiful person, but his story is horrible. And that's why I just, I just didn't like it, man. And mm -hmm. I, that's why I say, I don't, I don't, yeah. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. If I'm in a classroom setting, I, I definitely would use this book in a classroom setting. But just like, am I going to be like, yo, man, you got to read this book? Nah, probably not. I probably won't ever mention this book unless I have to. Um, yeah. Got it. Yeah, because Harvey does not want a full boat pain. Right. 
Well, yeah, and, and he this is kind of how and, we felt about Toronto Burt. Yeah, that's how I felt about Toronto <laughs> Burt. I don't think that I think this is going to be an easy recognized book against us, us, us heterosexual males who like pussy and who get our dick hard and shit. I don't, I don't think that's the point. You know, I don't think that's the point at all of this book. Uh-huh. I, I wonder. I, I wonder about these things. Like when, when Harvey saying it's uncomfortable for him to get this book. I, I, I wonder. Like, well, his story is bad, but like to be honest, y'all. The themes of his story are more common than people want to realize. And it's like, I, you know, the work to be done for Brian is great. You know, my work is great. But I always wonder, like, what are what do straight people intend to do other than say, like, buy the book and put it on your bookshelf? Like, what would you say if you had a son or a daughter who was experiencing stuff, you know, and you they came home to you? Are you going to try to correct, quote unquote, correct it? Or are you going to? Follow their momentum, and then and God, and God, them. Like, what, what would, what would you do? You got to the point where somebody said, nowadays, I wouldn't even have a. I mean, I wouldn't even have a gender reveal if I, you know, me and my partner uh-huh. uh, decide to have a kid. I'm like, all you need to know, I'm having a healthy baby, because the more I try to assign who that kid is versus letting that kid show up, and then I usher that kid through life as they've shown up to me, versus right. because that's about expectation. On you from birth, it's like I get it. In my brain, I see, I see boy, I see girl. I mean, I'm a gay man, but I still put myself on pause. Like, okay, how much, how much I'm gonna let my, this this male or female baby that's come to the world navigate that how they choose to? And I and I'm trying to I think about that now. I mean, and I'm a gay man thinking about that. Donovan, you up next for the next book? What you got, dog? What you got? What you got? What you what got? You got? Um, I've got second by Carol Anderson. Um, it's, well, the title is The Second Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America by Carol Anderson. We talking about guns. I own a gun. Oh. I'm black. Oh. I've experienced racism oh. institutionally. Oh. And second. even like that, that direct, like, you know, I'm poor white person racism, but the, the micro racism. I've had it all. All right. Okay. The second by Carol Anderson. Thank you for listening. Remember, click subscribe, share with a friend, help us grow by leaving us a five star rating. Come back next week for part four as we have a discussion with the author.